Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here with Sam Monson. You put the timer on already? Yep. Hit play. All right, we're getting right into it today. I still love that Belichick sound, by the way. It is great. From our intro. Man, I was going to talk about your shirt, too. Yeah. Reset the timer. We Ultimate Warrior, man. That was yeah. my that was my theme music when I came out to pitch. Your theme music, my Twitter avatar. Thing. Right. Yeah. We are connected through the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. I need to get warriors. some tassels or something. You a do rope to shake. That could be our new intro. You shaking the ropes, shaking a rope. Ultimate Warrior style. Perfect. Anyway, if our list, if some of our listeners are too young, just YouTube Ultimate Warriors best um, best promos. Best promos. Yes, there's some there's some good stuff in there. The guy was pretty insane. All right, so here's what we're going to do today. Rest in peace. We're, this week, we're going to fix every team. We're going to give an off-season plan for every single one of your teams. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it fixing your team in five minutes. Okay. How's that sound? That sounds fine, Steve. So we have enough time. I did, I did the math. 16 teams in a conference times five minutes. Yes. Puts us at 80 minutes. Okay. And I think that's a reasonable time for this. All right. So we're going to try to keep it on schedule, keep it tight, and we're going to fix your team in five minutes. We do that really well. Monday, AFC, Thursday, NFC, and then next week, we are at the mercy of free agency and responding and reacting to all that. And, and that's where we're going okay. with the podcast. Ready? Yes. All right. Go. Reset the timer. I can't reset. I don't know how to work the remote control. It's just it's T minus a minute and a half. Oh, man, you're killing me. I thought we had. All right, fine. We're going to start with the Miami Dolphins. We're going to go through the AFC East in no particular order. Don't even say it. Don't even say it. I know what you're going to say. I just listed teams. I just typed them out in any order in my brain. The Dolphins are first because they have the most needs. In no particular order. So fixing the Dolphins to start. They have to find a quarterback. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick. They're sitting at number five overall 
in the draft, but we like Joe Burrow. We like Tua. They might not have a chance to get a guy that we feel that great about. What should they do at quarterback? Justin Herbert, I just wrote about him the other day, feels like a bit of a stretch at five. Ah, That's the issue. I mean, look, I think they have draft capital, right? They've got um, they've got things they can do at the quarterback position or things they can do in the draft to make sure they snag a quarterback, right? Okay, you're not going to get Joe Burrow. You have to go get Tua. Have to. Go do it. Make it happen. Do whatever needs to be done to move however far you need to move to snag Tua. If you need to go up to number two overall to make it happen, as we said before, that you know him checking out medically was great for the Redskins because now they can start shopping that pick as a – an option, make it happen. You have the draft capital to do it. Nothing else matters if you don't get the quarterback. That assumes they love Tua as opposed to, you know, their analysis on him thinks he's not actually that great. Whatever they do, go find a quarterback in the draft. If they don't go up and get Tua and they keep their picks, or even if they trade down, I'm writing on the site this week, I'm trying to fix all the bad offensive lines. And obviously the Dolphins had the worst offensive line. Bad. They could Trade down. They could really overhaul their offensive line with the draft. Um, if they are at number five or if they're able to trade down from there and it's not a quarterback, grab one of those first-round offensive tackles, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, um, uh, Jedrick Wills. It could be any of those guys. Those are our top three tackles. Um, they could grab Josh Jones on the flip side. They could grab two really good tackles. That is their biggest weakness. Their tackle spot is terrible, despite having Jesse Davis locked up at right tackle. as like, he's not that great. I mean, their alternative would be you spend this offseason fixing everything else and then hope you get the quarterback next year. But you might be in the same position, right, of we end up in the draft. Let's say we failed at the tanking thing again. We won a few games. Now we're picking number six overall again, and we're still no closer to getting that quarterback, in which case you need to do the whole thing over again. You need to either make some insane run for the number one overall pick to get a Trevor Lawrence or whatever, or you're you just kick it down the line again. So. Look, you're never going to have a better opportunity. You can't guarantee a better opportunity at snagging a quarterback. If you think Tua is a franchise quarterback, get him in this draft, whatever it takes. It's a fascinating plan, though, if they just tried to fill all their needs and push quarterback a little bit. Because if they could come out of this with two top tackles, and if you guys read the analytics mock, which is surely going to aggravate some people because it's through a completely different lens— positional value and players you do not expect to see in the first round 12 receivers in the first round apparently it's just it's built through the pass game which which we love but the Dolphins come out with CJ Henderson the corner from Florida and Jeff Gladney the quarter the corner from TCU they could come out with two corners in the first round a tackle and maybe another tackle on the turn in the second round and boom there you go like some extremely valuable positions for the Dolphins uh, as far as their turnaround, and then it's like, hey, is it Justin Fields? Is it Trevor Lawrence? How do you have a uh, who do you who do you look at as quarterback next year? It's not the worst thing in the world, but you are kind of kicking the can down the road and well, taking a little risk. You're kicking the can down the road, and you're you're running the risk that you win enough games that you can't. You're in no better position to snag that quarterback. In which case, you're in a really tough spot next year because then you have the same question. Only you've spent all the picks on this group that was supposedly building around the quarterback that still doesn't exist yet. So if you're going to do that, you almost need to win-proof the team with the quarterback, right? You need to roll into this season and say, all right, Rosen, back Josh out there. Rosen is going to be the guy, and let's hope to God he doesn't, like, develop. Otherwise, we're screwed. You know, we actually we need to ensure that the quarterback position this year is so bad that we cannot win more than two games. 
So in addition to the draft, the Dolphins also have the most cap space yeah. in the NFL. Is there a certain way to go? And I'm assuming in free agency, we would only be looking at some of the younger players. So we're we talking about like the Javon Hargraves of the world, the DJ readers, like only get guys that, you know, are going to be a part of the rebuild, the four and five year plan here. The right. Thing is they're they're in the same spot that the Browns were in before they snagged Baker Mayfield. Right. Which is we're we're assembling uh, draft capital and we're assembling cap space so that when we get the quarterback, we can deploy it all at once and quickly build a roster around this guy. I don't think you spend it until you know you have the quarterback. So what we just kept, what we were just talking about, this idea of, well, if you kick it down the road, you don't know that you can even get it next year. So you can't spend that cap space without knowing that the quarterback is in place. Honestly, I, if I were them this offseason, I would not be spend happy in free agency. I would wait. I would wait until I know I have a quarterback in the building to build a roster around. And then next year is the year I would be going spend crazy. All right, so here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum up the Dolphins. Get the quarterback. The end. Normally, I would say go get some playmakers for him and then worry about the offensive line. But you got to creep back toward average. I got my creep back toward average shirt on well under hidden. this. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, well hidden. Um, I would go quarterback, get some tackles because Julianne Davenport and Jesse Davis aren't getting it done. Then start to add playmakers around the quarterback on defense, back to front, continue to add more coverage players. And boom, the Dolphins have been solved yeah. I mean, I think in five it, minutes. I think free agency for them should be a couple of low-level value deals that you think are going to be worthwhile, whatever happens. So right? use the cap space next year. Yeah, so just stay, keep keep the powder dry, stay calm, keep the war chest intact, get a couple of value signings who are A, young enough to be around in a couple of years and doesn't matter if it doesn't work. And even if you don't get the quarterback, are still useful components of a team but not enough game changer to actually, you know, threaten to win games and screw the whole plan up. All right, moving on to the New England Patriots. We're going to fix them in five minutes as well. So see the timer right there, Sam? I do. It's well right done. there. Boom. We're good. Um, for New England, it has to start with the quarterback. Where are they going to go with QB? If you're in a perfect world here, do you even do you want Tom Brady back, or do you think New England has a better option if you were running the team? That's a really good question. I, I honestly don't. It kind of depends what Brady wants from a contract point of view, right? Because so much of what they've built around Brady has been predicated on this idea of he will take a slight hometown discount, you know, to a late, to enable you to put a better team around him. Now, I think that's probably been overblown a little bit, and it's not like he's been doing this for like $4 million a year. Like yeah, our guy Timo quantified it. It was, it was worth about a win receiver. or so, win and a half over right. – 10 years. But it's more to the point in terms of contract, it's basically a slot receiver a year, right? It's, it's a number three wide receiver every year that he's been doing this, which is useful, but it's not like they're building an entire offense based on the cap money that Tom Brady has been saving them. So if he's willing to do that again, okay, I, that, I think that's worth doing. If he wants suddenly market value again, I probably don't want any part of that. In any other year, I would not want to get rid of him on the basis that there's no viable alternative this year, given that he's now 42, he started to show signs of decline again. Um, and suddenly we're in this quarterback rich marketplace in terms of free agent options. I would think seriously about using this as the opportunity to move on and get a replacement. So who's your replacement? There's a lot of rumors. Teddy, 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 Teddy. So Teddy, so you're, you're, you're Teddy bringing Teddy into in New, New England. England. Tell me that's not a great fit. Oh, I think it'd be a good fit. Now, look, I'm not saying Teddy Bridgewater is Tom Brady, obviously. I am, though, saying that Teddy Bridgewater in that offense is a really nice fit. And 
whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Teddy, whether it's Tom Brady, or whether it's somebody else, they have to understand that they need to rebuild the weapons around him, right? So that's got to be their offseason plan anyway. So you give Teddy some decent weapons to play with. Their offensive line is not terrible, and that defense is good. I think that's a strategy that can win. So you're bringing in Teddy, and now how do you build the playmakers around him? You've got the number 23 overall pick, and then there's no second-round pick because of Mohamed Sanu, who just had off-season surgery. Yes. Now, you're also bad, traditionally, at picking receivers in the draft. So I would think seriously at what I can get for that first-round pick, that number 23 overall. I would start calling up anybody with a viable wide receiver in the NFL and figuring out if anyone's going to move a player. Stephon Diggs, I'd be seriously tempted. I, I would throw number 23 at the Vikings for Stephon Diggs, and honestly, more. Like, if, if I could get 23 and a player, I think that's well worth doing for Stephon Diggs. Odell Beckham, I think, would be another guy that I would throw number 23 at and see if we could move. The, the Patriots, I think, they need to make sure they hit on whatever they do with that number 23. I think you either need to try and get a proven commodity in the NFL or you need to nail a first-round impact rookie wide receiver. Yeah, I think, well, certainly getting those playmakers, getting some sort of compliment to Julian Edelman, and you kind of hope Mohamed Sanu is going to come back and be a viable number three if you get a number two. Now, look, if they added Diggs, for instance, to this, and it's Diggs, Edelman, Sanu, and Harry, mm-hmm. That's not a bad group, assuming Sanu can come back from surgery and Harry can become more of a gimmick-type player. You have to replace Joe Tooney at left guard. They might have the internal uh, replacement there with Yeldy Froholt, who they drafted last year in the fourth round. They have to look at – yeah, I know, right? They have to look at Marcus Cannon potentially being gone soon. Yandy Yandy Kajust, who they drafted. They drafted essentially two redshirt, Mm -hmm. third and fourth round offensive linemen. I think they have the depth there. And then the question is tight ends. The draft is terrible at tight end. You might want to take a shot. Our top guy, Hunter Bryant, could be available as late as round three. You got to take some shots at tight end as well. I mean, I think tight end is a great tight end is a perfect Patriots bargain basement free agent paradise where all of these guys have some kind of red flag or question mark or injury history that's well documented. How perfect is it for the Patriots to snag like a Tyler Eifert and him suddenly yeah. get back to 2015 Eifert and it's like, oh, look at the Patriots way. Right. I mean, either that or he gets injured and he never sees a feel for them. But I think I like should a, at least be one of the shots that they take. Right. But they're also there's got to be a probably a cleaner shot too. It's a weak year though for free agency and the draft as far as tight end goes. Maybe that's the place where they trade and they try to stitch together the wide receiver eh, core. I think I think free agency. I think because all these guys who got these red flags, I think free agency is a perfect spot to roll the dice at tight end for the Patriots. You you take a Tyler Eifert, you take. You know, Jordan Reed apparently got cleared the second they had to cut him yeah. from his concussion. I would protocol. take a shot at, you know me, reclamation projects. Right. Um, all that said, it's crazy that the Patriots have to put this much effort into offense. Don't forget, they're also going to lose five, you know, starters on the defensive side of the ball. You cannot completely neglect defense. So it's going to be we also, uh, we an interesting question, offseason. Uh, a question emailed to us from a guy called Edward George about uh, whether they should start thinking about moving on from Stephon Gilmore, who may be the best cornerback in the NFL or arguably one, um, but is up there in terms of monster contract numbers. And, you know, could you get 80% of the production for a lower dollar figure? I would Uh, say that the risky part there is the trickle down effect in a man coverage scheme. If you're in a, in a zone coverage scheme, I would say sell high 
I think with Gilmore, it's really risky because they put so much pressure on him in the main right. coverage scheme. I don't know that they have the horses to get it done, although J.C. Jackson's coverage numbers are kind of insane over the past couple of seasons. The reason, though, that I bring up this email is that he signed off with Keep It Trimmed. So big landscape read fan. Love our listeners. So there you go. Patriots, I don't know if we completely fixed them, but we gave you some strategies on where they might go. Um, it still might be better off. Brady and playmakers for one or two more years still might be their best Maybe. bet for the familiarity. All right, let's move on to the New York Jets and try to fix them in five minutes okay. or less. The needs are everywhere. And if you look at their offensive line, which was already bad, four of them are free agents, four out of five, with only Brian Winters scheduled to come back. Is this another team where if the goal is to build around Sam Donald, again, my, my inkling is generally give them playmakers to throw to. They can get open. They can mitigate the offensive line. But you have to get back to it. you got to creep back toward average. You have to do it. You cannot yeah. trot out the 30th best offensive line again <coughs> and expect better results from Darnold. This is true. Um, everything around Darnold is a problem right now. Like this. Yeah, there's no playmakers in his best deep threat. Robbie Anderson, also a free agent. Correct. So there's literally nothing around him. Le'Veon Bell is around Sam Darnold. And as we just discovered last year, that if everything around Le'Veon Bell sucks, Le'Veon Bell is Le'Veon Bell. Let me just say, there's a lot of rumors about Trent Williams and trading mm-hmm. uh, for him. I would not trade for Trent Williams if I'm the Jets. You're going. He is a great player. He would immediately help them creep back to an average on the offensive line. If you have to give up draft capital, it is too risky. We were saying last year at this time, the best case scenario for the Jets, as much as we loved Quinn and Williams, and now he's got some issues, is to trade down from three because they gave up so many picks in the Darnold trade. They have not gotten the, the draft capital back to rebuild that roster since they made the big move to trade up for Darnold. They need draft picks, not one player to, to save that team. I think it depends on what it costs. So what if, for example, Trent Williams can be had for a third-round pick? They've got two. Uh, I'd consider a third. Right. So Fourth would be more ideal. But sure. I, I mean, I think that depends on the, the asking price, right? The Trent Williams thing is so toxic in Washington, they might be able to move him for whatever they can get for him if – the third, if a third round pick from the Jets would get it done, I would absolutely bring Trent Williams on board. Even acknowledging what you're saying that they need that they need everything, right? So they need all the draft capital they can get. Ultimately, they need players that will actually fix spots. So for the certainty that Trent Williams comes in and fixes a spot, I would absolutely take him um, and and move on, even if it costs me a third round pick. On the other hand, I think they're in the same kind of boat as the Browns in terms of. Get one of the proven commodities, right? Whether it's Trent Williams, whether it's Jason Peters for 12 games, whether it's Andrew Whitworth, whatever. Fix a spot, albeit temporarily, just give Sam Darnold a prayer to work with, right? Give him a left tackle that you can forget about and then start plugging in players at other positions. I, and if, if anything, I, I'm going to be an advocate when we do get to the Browns and some of those other teams that you said for the Jason Peters, Whitworth type of guy who are, or, or Trent Williams. The thing is, Trent Williams is younger. He has more years expected right compared to Jason Peters or Andrew Whitworth but I think the key there is you're buying time to actually draft and develop somebody sure. at tackle I don't mind Chuma Adoga as a, I mean he struggled last year but like all right he's a good swing guy to continue to to develop and everything I really liked his potential coming out so right I mean, especially in well pass pro year one but. what about Jack Conklin who they'd been rumored and then Schefter said he's not going to the Jets and I don't know if he meant the Titans I gotta know what happened there hmm. but if they did you know grab a Jack Conklin um, the Jets are also at 11, right, in the draft. They could get one of those top tackles as well. Yep. Draft a top tackle and start to build there. Should they be in the Amari Cooper sweepstakes? 
See, the, the interesting thing about the Jets is that they don't have all the cap space in the world that you would assume a team this not good. They're still top t- 12 or so. Right, but they're like half the cap space almost of the teams at the very, very top. So, Well, last year at this time they spent a lot. They had a lot, and they spent a lot on C.J. Mosley. I know. Le'Veon Bell. But I think they need to be in the wide receiver market, whether it's Amari Cooper or whether it's somebody lower down. Honestly, they should be trying to bring Robbie Anderson back. Um, outside of that, the good news is it's a great draft for wide receivers. So, you know, take a swing certainly in the draft, but also try and add a piece somewhere in free agency. There are interesting options in free agency. If you can't, if you're, if, if Robbie Anderson is pricing you out of his market, my budget, uh, Robbie Anderson throughout the entirety of free agency is the Brashad Perriman reclamation project. I would be all on board seeing if that can be worked out. Um, but again, they're, they're kind of in the same boat as the Patriots. They need to attack receiver on multiple fronts because they don't have any. I've been of the theory. So deep passing is generally very much dependent on the receiver. Sam Darnold in general isn't a great deep ball thrower. I think if you're going to get that out of him, you need a great deep threat who's either going to get open or win in contested situations. And then Darnold at his best, pretty good throwing the ball up to 20 yards. And I think that's how you stitch together that Jets uh, offense. Um, Ultimately, they need to do a better job than what they did last year. Everywhere that they attacked was low-value positions, lower-value positions. Their their top draft pick, interior D-line, Quinn and Williams, okay, it's tough for him to make an Aaron Donald type of impact. They grabbed C.J. Mosley, who I said at linebacker, Le'Veon Bell over the last couple years, bringing him in at running back. They need to – and now they're sitting there with their biggest needs in the pass game. Wide receiver, corner – They've needed an edge for 15 years, really since John Abraham. They've really needed an edge for a while, but those are the positions they need to attack. Get back to an average on the offensive line, get some weapons, get some corners, and work from there. Jets, generally, solved-ish. There's a lot of work to do there yeah. with the Jets. Um, ultimately, though, trade down and get draft capital. They have not gotten that yeah, draft some, capital back. Some of these teams might take more than an offseason to fix. <sighs> Fair. All right, Buffalo Bills. They're in an interesting spot right here, right? They're starting to build that roster around Josh Allen and doing a pretty nice job of it. They just added Josh Norman to the mix. What are your thoughts on Josh Norman now being that guy opposite Tredavious White? I for one consider year. that a downgrade to Levi Wallace. Um, Josh Norman looks pretty cooked at this point. I understand that the scheme is better and the scheme that coaxed his best years out of him, but... I don't know that he has the juice left anymore. And Levi Wallace is kind of okay. So eh. let them battle it out and see what happens. Sure. I would say. I mean, if that's a fair competition, I would expect Levi Wallace to win. They did a decent job with Kevin Johnson, you know, bringing him in as a, as a reclamation project. Yeah. Also didn't work out, but that's also because Levi Wallace is better than him. It so. was just a one year. It was a one year deal, right? It was right. a one year option. I'm okay with take like kicking the tires. Let's see what's left. Um, but I wouldn't expect that to upgrade that group. I would, If you're going to upgrade the second corner opposite Tredavious White, I think you're probably going to need to do it in the draft or spend bigger in free agency. The Bills are at a spot in the draft where I think a lot of people are mocking wide receivers to them. So we keep coming back to this, to the same concept of building through the pass game. I like the idea of adding another weapon to John Brown and Cole Beasley. I thought they did a great job of adding a specific deep threat, intermediate and deep threat in John Brown, who was fantastic last year. And Beasley, a nice slot weapon who gave Josh Allen a lot more open targets underneath. We've talked about this before, but if you had a third wide receiver, if it's a T. Higgins from Clemson or a Jalen Rager from TCU, 
Is there a specific way that you're going to go there? Is it a deep threat? Is it a bigger bodied receiver? Which way do you want to go there? Because I think finding that complements of Brown and Beasley is going to be crucial. Well, the Bills are also interesting because they have the third most cap space in the NFL. So one of the things like so part of it, I think, is people are wrong about what they're saying about the Bills receiving core. Right. It's they dropped a lot of passes. So people think they sucked. But ultimately, they were getting open all the time. Who so thinks they, they sucked? I thought they were fantastic. A lot of Bills fans think they're not good because they dropped a lot of passes. So it's, oh, the receiving core let down Josh Allen because obviously Josh Allen can't be at fault for anything. I mean, I, so the Bills. They did a nice job last year. I agree. Receivers. So, one, I don't think there is, they're as in need of receiver help as a lot of other people do. Two, they are, however, so this idea of the number one, right? Now, those two guys both get open a lot. I don't know that you would call either than this unquestioned number one who can win in any scenario against any defense, against any cornerback. So if you want to say, okay, let's throw a legit number one into that receiving core, they could be in the Amari Cooper sweepstakes, given the amount of salary cap space they have. They're one of the few teams that could legitimately throw a market-setting contract Amari Cooper's way and for it not to impact this roster overall in terms of negative salary cap implications. Then you have three legitimate receivers that can get open. Well, now you might have three guys that can get open at every level. Now you might have the best receiving core in the NFL all of a sudden. So now there's no freaking excuses for Josh Allen at all. He's got a legit number one. He's got maybe the best route running slot receiver in the NFL. And he's got a genuine deep threat who he can't put the ball in the same area code as. You've got three players. You can't even mention his name without taking a jab at him. That are well balanced. And that would make this receiving core. I genuinely think that would be the best receiving core in the NFL if they snag Amari Cooper. To the point where I'm all I'm talking myself into that being an awesome strategy just to make that happen. Well, yeah, of course it's an awesome strategy because we know, listen, we would do different things as far as always look into the future at quarterback. I won't even get into those details because that would take too long. But get a lot of hate. Center. But I wouldn't you don't have to wait till year three before you start looking for the next guy. All I'm saying is you're always looking for the next guy at quarterback in general. But they're going to build around Josh Allen. The best way to do that is to get an Amari. I mean, a perfect scenario would be getting an Amari Cooper, pairing him with John Brown and Cole Beasley. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I think if they did that, that might free them up as we're focusing on offense a lot here. But in the first round, if they grabbed one of those tackles as well, this tackle rich class, Deion Dawkins was nice at left tackle has been pretty good, but Cody Ford last year's second round pick. I still like him better at guard. If you could kick him into guard and grab one of those tackles potentially in the first round, if they're available, I think that's a great way to build that offensive line, which they, they threw a ton of resources at last year and they still have some work to do. They do. Um, I think the other area they need help is just defense generally. Not because the defense is bad, but I think depth and succession plans. I think there's a bunch of places where they can, you know, we've been talking all offseason about how we didn't grade many players on that defense particularly well, but the defense performed really well. And generally that means the coach is doing a really good job, particularly when that's like the third year in a row that that's happened, right? They have consistently been getting more than the sum of their collective parts on defense. Consequently, so don't look at that in a bad way. Look at that in a positive way. Say, Honestly, that's been Sean McDermott everywhere he's gone. I right. know it's not his defense per se, but it's you know his fingerprints. So let's start talking about that as an opportunity to make this thing special, right? If we suddenly start adding like legitimate superstar talent to this defense in addition to what they already have, think what the value add is there. Now you can start building a defense that can carry an offense to a Super Bowl championship. You know, the same way the Denver Broncos did or the Seattle Seahawks did a few years ago, 
Like, they have the potential to do something like that if they add talent to this defense. I really like what they've done in the back seven, adding the athleticism of Tremaine Edmonds and adding, um, you know, the, the safeties that, you know, are pretty versatile in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde over the last couple of years. I think adding another edge rusher, yes, if it's a power edge like A.J. Epinesa in the first round, I think that would be a good fit as well. Somebody opposite Jerry Hughes and something, somebody to open things up for Ed Oliver, last year's first rounder. On the interior. And I'd be all for um, giving Levi Wallace competition in the form of, say, a first-round cornerback. Let's bring in a legitimate superstar No, Bills fans hate that more than Josh (laughs) Allen slander because I was giving them first-round corners last year in all my mocks. And that's, again, based off the premise that you literally can't have too many corners, right? It's it's literally nothing to do with Tredavious White. It's saying you already have one star corner. Let's add a second star corner and make Levi Wallace a third guy. Now you're cooking. I think they're in a... Not a luxury spot, but a good spot to do that and continue right. to add valuable I mean, positions to try to take that next step. That's what I'm saying. You have a good defense across the board. So what happens if you replace a good starter with a superstar? All right. Buffalo Bills strategy, at least laid out Fixed. for five minutes. Moving on to the AFC North, we got the Cincinnati Bengals. They've got the first overall pick in the draft. Does it all start with Joe Burrow? Is yes. there any other potential strategy there with that first overall pick? No. The end. Solved. All right, so we start with Joe Barrow. We've discussed J, uh, A.J. Green on the last podcast. If having him for at least one more year under the franchise tag is the right play for Barrow and his development, um, we don't always draft and build for just one year, Sam, right? Correct. Some people like to do that. It's a multi-year rebuild for Joe Barrow. So how important is one year of A.J. Green to get things kicked off for Barrow? It's not that I think it's you know, make or break for Joe Burrow. Um, It's that I don't really see an upside to letting him leave at this point. I know you get a compensatory draft pick, but ultimately it's a mid round pick that doesn't really do you a whole lot of good anyway. Um, Look, I think you keep, when you don't have a giant group of receivers that will make his life easier, keep around a guy that should be one of the best in the NFL when he's healthy. I just, for one year franchise tag money, you've got the space to make it happen. I just don't see the upside to letting A.J. Green walk. So I so I like the idea we talked about the other day of let him come back, let Burrow feed him the ball, is and then he's trade bait by week six, right? I don't hate that. And then you give Burrow the rest of the year to figure out who he's thrown to. Is it Tyler Boyd, Boyd long-term? Have they extracted more production out of John Ross, and he's going to be a long-term option? Have they drafted somebody? The top of the second, everybody's going to talk about Joe Burrow here. I'm fascinated by the top of the second round where the Bengals are sitting there again with the premium pick. There's going to be more good receivers on the board, more good corners on the board. So again, these value positions. And then I don't think the tackles will be on the board, but the Bengals are getting Jonah Williams back. So I think Jonah Williams coming back at left tackle should improve their team. It looks like Cordy Glenn has worn out his welcome, but could they, you know, Josh Jones is our fifth first round tackle out of Houston. He could be there top of the second round, whether it's tackle, corner, or receiver, yeah. it's got to be a premium position on the turn there. And I think they're in a great spot for that to happen. I mean, you know, the the forecast guys mock draft had 12 receivers in the first round, and that's probably going overboard, but most people have like six. Um, and whatever, so five, six, seven, those receivers, A, they're really good players, and B, one of those is going to be sitting there 
with the 33rd overall pick. You're going to essentially have a first-round receiver at the top of the second round, and that could make a massive impact to this group, enable you to potentially trade A.J. Green before the deadline, you know, midway through the season. But either way, you're going to be adding a valuable player to Joe Burrow, give him somebody to throw to, or, as you say, get one of the top tackles and try and, you know, shore up right tackle as well as left tackle. Bengals Ken brings up a good point because because, because he's got all the Bengals' thoughts here. Bengals Ken says Reggie Wayne in 2012 did stick around for one more year with the Colts for Andrew Luck's rookie season, and he was like uber-possession guy, you know, mm-hmm. high-volume guy. And then after that, like, he, the wheels fell off. I think he showed up in camp for the Patriots and retired. But they stole one extra year, aided in Luck's development. It didn't matter long-term for the Colts, but I like that as a as a concept. Do you think anybody would be interested in John Ross? Do you think Do you think the Bengals could steal a third-round pick for John Ross anywhere in the open market? Like, he's flashed enough, and speed receivers are kind of at a premium, even though there's a million of them in the draft. Do you think they could steal a third-round pick as a reclamation project? If they could, I would flip them. If not, I would try to reclaim them myself. <laughs> try to reclaim yourself. I, I just – it's been so – there's been so little, like, uh, so little glimpses of what should be for a guy with 4-2-2 speed. I know. That it seems really hard to imagine a team giving an awful lot to acquire him. Like, I, he has 716 career yards in three seasons. Now, I mean, huge amount of that is missing all that time, but it's a it's a longer learning curve, slower learning curve for receivers. Um, I'm just intrigued by it. it. It shows, I think, how tough it is for Deshaun Jackson to become a, a legitimate ten year deep threat. Yeah, and how Will Fuller, you know, comes in and when he is healthy, is a game changer for the Texans. It just it shows how difficult it is. It's way more than just running four two four three. Those guys are skilled all around, Tyreek Hill and all that stuff. But um, I'm fascinated by the receiving core going forward for Burrow. Offensive line strategy, if they did, you have Jonah come back and did draft Josh Jones top of the second, you don't have to have Bobby Hart out there at right tackle. I know they locked him up. And that's, Thank God. if they're just not, they're going to pay him over $6 million this year. If they're not tied to that contract and they're able to move on, they'll be able to uh, to rebuild that line a little bit quicker. Then they have to figure out the interior. I start with the tackles and then work my way to the interior, which is also a disaster. So. I mean, part of fixing the Bengals would be stop making moves like signing Bobby Hart to a large contract extension. Like if you could, if we could all agree this off season to not make any more of those ridiculous signings, that would be ideal. Anywhere they should go in free agency. They've got nine, a little over $9 million as of today in cap. No, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong. Sorry. I'm looking at the wrong. No, numbers. they got like 49. Million? Sorry, 45. I actually 45. accidentally clicked on 2016. I'm like, what? So they're middle of the pack as far as free agent money goes. Is this another one of those, like, let's slow play it until we build from within? No, I think they can definitely, they, I think, should be looking at creeping back toward average in the interior of the offensive line, right? So maybe try and fix your other tackle spot in the draft. That should, in theory, give you two decent bookends. Now let's start, or not now, but you should also start trying to replace the absolute weak links in the middle of your offensive line for guys that are at least viable. You know who would right? be a really good fit for them is Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney. As far as his skill set, zone blocking right. scheme, he could do that pretty well. I'm, I mean, guard. I wouldn't hate that at all. Um, I think you can target some guys that are just viable, though, on the interior, right, without going crazy with your free agent spending. Sort of keep the war chest in place, but get guys that are just sort of halfway decent interior players. That's what the Bills did last year, bring in like a Quentin Spain, 
Mitch Morse, Ty Insecki, and it's like, it right. didn't all work, but you're taking a lot of shots and hoping to find one or two players out of that mix. Yeah, so like, you know, a, a Ronald Leary or a Stefan Wisniewski or somebody that's not necessarily a long-term option, but a guy you know that you can go out there, start in the interior, and they'll be okay. I like Which it. is a dramatic upgrade over terrible. All right, Bengals fixed-ish. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't have a ton of cap space. They have a decision to make on Bud Dupree. Well, I can give you that one for a start. Give us the decision uh, on Bud. Let him walk. The Just end. let him walk. Yeah, save All your right. money. Save your money. You still then you still have to find a compliment on the other side of TJ Watt. That's what the drafts for. Okay, I would say I keep going back to the pass game because that's that's where things are going to be won and lost. What about a number one receiver? I don't think they have the ability to get one. How comfortable are you with this receiving core? J- Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington. Like, on paper, I feel like the range of outcomes is wide. Yes. In a vacuum, it's like, here's Juju. I don't know if he's a true number one, so to speak. I don't trust him in every situation. I'd rather have somebody better than him. But if he had to be the guy, Deontay Johnson can get open, James Washington, a deep threat. Like, they've got the, the skill sets you want. I just kind of wish that there was another guy in that mix. I don't. Yeah, so I kind of like I like collectively the talent of that group, though that trio in particular. Um, I think I wouldn't hate the idea of adding one in the draft. I wouldn't go out of my way to make it happen. Like if, if value fell and I liked the receiver, I would take him. But I wouldn't be, you know, going, oh, we've got to come out of this first round with a wide receiver, otherwise everything's broken. I think it, you've got to look at what was throwing to those guys last year. The combination of Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges was abysmal. Um, so the trio that showed up last year is should not be the trio that shows up with a healthy, good quarterback. Now, the other concern is Ben Roethlisberger is old, kind of fat, and looks like Matt Patricia right now. Do you want that guy leading your offense in 2020 and beyond? And even if you do... Well, in 2020, yeah, but I think beyond. How much is he left? I think 2020, you have to. I mean, the, the- well, so just look at that draft class now, right? Eli Manning, done and retired. Philip Rivers, broken down, hitting free agency, and his own team doesn't want him anymore. I don't think he's broken down. He's kind of broken down. He's, he's regressed down. to the same points he's other. He's been at other points in his career. Right. Only this time, his arm is kind of like a noodle. Um, his arm has been a noodle for about six years now. But it's more of a noodle now than it was. I don't know. And now you got Ben Roethlisberger, who, as yeah. I say, is like in photographs out there looking like Matt Patricia. Like that, that group, the 2004 draft class is kind of done. So where is your succession plan? Because it isn't Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges, and Paxton Lynch. So are they the team with no money? Are they the team that brings in a Marcus Mariota as the backup? Like they're just not in a great spot financially <laughs> or as far as draft. They gave up a lot of draft capital. Here's when we go back to uh, the Devin Bush trade. They gave up a lot of draft capital to go get Devin Bush. And at the time we said, it it felt like this, like, here's this big need that we have and we're going to go get it. But it's like Devin Bush moving up. Yeah. Now they have one second round pick in the first two days. Yeah. Like to go right to go from 20 to 10 as they did last year. It's like Devin Bush has to be worth two players. He's never going to be. Which as a linebacker is almost impossible. Right. He's just, he's never going to be. And then you sit there a year from now and it's like, okay, we just gave up. They don't have a first-round pick now because they traded that for Minka Fitzpatrick, which is fine if you're like, oh, we got our first-round pick a year early. Well, he's also two years closer to free agency, and he's a safety. He's a good player. He fit in the system pretty well. 
But then when you just then you get to this snapshot of the offseason and it's like we could use another receiver. The O line is going to need some help soon. Our edge rusher Bud Dupree is about to walk. We got to replace him, and we don't have a first round pick. And corner has always been a situation where okay, Stephen Nelson was fine. Joe Hayden's getting older. Mike Hilton's you need more depth there as well. There's a lot of needs here for the Steelers, and they spent a lot of draft capital on Devin Bush and Minka Fitzpatrick. And they don't have a huge amount of money to play with in free agency. So, yeah, they the Steelers, honestly, are in a similar situation to the Minnesota Vikings in terms of they kind of need to nail this offseason in order for them not to struggle in 2020. Only, unlike the Vikings, like, they don't have any draft picks. So the Vikings need to, like, nail on a couple of picks where they've been struggling. You know, they right. need to actually hit on some draft evals. The Steelers don't even have, like, they don't have the picks to nail. They've got one second-round pick, and that basically needs to answer three or four different problems in one, which is seems like a, a stretch. Yeah, and then when you look at where, so if you just look at their cap numbers for this year, you have Ben Roethlisberger, over $33 million. You have Stephon Tuitt, over $14 million. David DeCastro, over $13 million. And Cameron Hayward, over $13 million. Just looking at that from aging quarterback, who's still... Probably worth that. Big Ben is worth that. Like, that's worth the risk. Well, we hope. Otherwise, everything is snacking. Of course. But Tuitt and Hayward, who are both really good players, but they're interior defensive linemen, and David DeCastro, he's a guard. I mean, it, it is, from a positional value standpoint, that's a lot of money. Then you go down the list. Joe Hayden, aging corner. Marquise Pouncey, center. Steven Nelson, a corner. Like, so a lot of their most value, like, of, of their assets are locked up in interior offensive linemen and interior defensive linemen. Which is why we're sitting here saying, man, some upgrades at corner, some upgrades at receiver, and some youth at tackle would really help this team. And then just figuring out the succession plan at quarterback. So I would absolutely try and look at a guy like Marcus Mariota, right? Not even necessarily him. I just don't think – I don't know how you even afford any of that. One of these guys is going to end up having to take backup quarterback money because there's still fewer QBs than jobs in this offseason. And honestly, that's why I'm saying – it's not necessarily Marcus Mariota. It's whoever is the guy left standing when the musical chair stop and everybody else sits down on one and you're like, oh, crap, there's no teams left. I have to take a backup job somewhere. Whoever that ends up being, whether it's Mariota, whether it's Jameis, whether it's Teddy, whatever quarterback is left standing, the Steelers should be trying to bring him in for a cheap backup quarterback deal because if Roethlisberger, A, can't go, if, he's, if he breaks down again or if he gets hurt or whatever, or B, is really bad. You need that other option because if you have to roll all through the season with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph again, you might as well just pack up and go home. Um, And then B, the next thing that they should be doing is they should be attacking your list of reclamation projects at corner. So there's a bunch of guys that are going to go for very cheap money because they've been proven to not be all that good, but have talent. So a guy like a Ronald Darby, right? Can you get him in, even if it's a one-year, $6 million like kind of deal, yeah. right? You, you, your cornerback situation is not great, and there are talented players out there that you could— they might The problem with Darby it. is he just becomes redundant to what they have in Hayden and Stephen Nelson. Well, he becomes That's redundant, or he gives them another option, right? Like yeah. Maybe Darby comes in, you get the top-level play that you saw at the end, and it coincides with a step back from Joe Hayden as he ages or Steven Nelson not playing as well, whatever. It gives you other options. To Hedge your bets in valuable forward. positions, essentially. Yes. Before. Well, the Steelers, I think the offseason strategy, trade down as much as you possibly can. With that one second round pick. With the one second round pick, you got to accumulate assets as much as possible.
All right, moving on. Who's my next team? Baltimore Ravens. Um, how do we fix the team that had the best record in the NFL? Um, I think the first thing they need to figure out is uh, Matt Judon being a free agent, guy that we've talked about quite a bit here. Uh, they've constructed the, you know free pressure uh, pretty well, schemed it up. They don't have a, a ton of cap space relative to the rest of the league, but enough to play around with. Do they bring back Judon on the franchise tag, let him walk, pick up a compensatory pick potentially, and then get the next guy? I think that's the first question of the Ravens office offseason. I would be perfectly prepared to let Matt Judon walk. Um, they did it a year ago in terms of Zedaria Smith. I don't see a massive downside to letting him walk out the door, getting the compensatory pick in the future, and being able to attack that position in the draft. I think they could do that, not suffer any kind of downturn in production because of how dependent it was on them being the most blitz-happy team in the NFL in terms of uh, by alignment scheming him up against tight ends a ton. I think they can generate that pressure elsewhere. The other the, the place where the, the Ravens have um, followed the PFF way, so to speak, is building back to front, right? So they let, as you said, Zedaria Smith, C.J. Mosley, Terrell Suggs, they let the valuable front seven players walk last year in order to go and sign Earl Thomas and make a strength, an even bigger strength in the secondary. They have, is the secondary a place where strategically you just continue to add more and more? I mean, I know it is, but uh, Marlon Humphrey is about to get paid, right? Brandon Carr, Jimmy Smith back there is now a free agent. Marcus Peters is back there who they traded for in the middle of the season. Do we just continue to throw assets there late first round? So that, yeah, that's the issue is that at some point that collection becomes really expensive. Um, I think it's the right way of doing it in terms of you can you can essentially create this um, incredible group of cornerbacks that make it really challenging for any opposing passing game to function. You then augment that with the most blitz-happy you know, defensive scheme in the NFL. Now you're causing real problems for opposing passing attacks because A, they're already being challenged by the coverage, and B, there's going to be pressure because you're getting blitzed all the time and blitz just generates more pressure. The reason most teams don't do it just more than everybody else or more than they do now is because it stresses a back end. Those guys have to be able to hold up. If you know they can, and that's already a problem, then it's a great defensive strategy regardless of who the players are. So the problem with that team building strategy of just, let's just throw all the assets at the backs at the, the back four, the secondary, the back five is at some point, I think those guys are all going to get paid Stephon Gilmore money, and that breaks your salary cap. So, so that's why so I'm wondering. You've got to get cheaper when you can, right. is what I'm saying. So that's where, again, when people mock draft, right, they're like, okay, let's look at the Ravens. they got a really nice roster. The O-line's looking good. They drafted a first-round wide receiver last year. you got set. Lamar Jackson. They're set everywhere. Uh, okay, they need an edge. Matthew Judon's going to leave. Let's draft an edge. Mm-hmm. But should they be all in on the next corner? Because Marlon Humphrey is about to hit his fifth-year option in 2021. And then, like you said, he's he could be a $20 million a year corner right. under the new salary cap, right? And do you just want to put yourself in position where you're comfortable with those guys walking? Or who cares? Even if it's not Marlon Humphrey, it's like how long is Marcus Peters going to last year? How long is Brandon Carr going to last? And we've got Jimmy Smith walking as it is right. in his 30s and banged up. So um, is this like, man, stick to the strategy that got you here build that secondary. Plus Earl Thomas is getting older too. I mean, it's just continued adding that, you know, the back four, five. I mean, I'm not saying it's a massive glaring need or anything, but I think if you want this to be a 
if you want this to be a sustainable enterprise, right, as opposed to we're building for next year and nothing else, then you need to think about the secondary because they're old and they're expensive. And if you can, if you can get younger and cheaper and not drop off in production, then hell yeah, do that. Even if it's not a need, you're not drafting for 2020. Like most, I think that's the mistake a lot of people make is we draft for this year and nothing else. And that's how you end up having people say Chase Young should be the number one overall pick. Well, that's what fans definitely do. And then, you know, right. some in the media focus just on what did I just see and what do I do for this year? So we're not building for 2020. We're building for the next however many years. And if you're doing that, you need to think about the next few years of this secondary, which gets hard to keep together because they're old and expensive. So, so Ra- yeah. Ravens have some foresight in the secondary. God, don't draft a running back. All of their linebackers are at the top free agents here. Yes. I, I And then I think that's where they, you know, my boy, Nick Kwiatkowski, if they're going to go bargain basement linebacker, nice little two down run stopper and good blitzer, good flipper mm-hmm. when he blitzes, right? Flipper guy. Um, so find the bargain linebackers, you know, don't have to go find the next CJ Mosley, David Mayo. I wouldn't hate a franchise tag on Judon, but I'm fascinated by the idea of, could you get the next guy up there and just develop yeah. them and scheme it up? Right. Um, and then I wonder at wide receiver, if they need to start mitigating the idea that in past pass first games, they need guys that can get open a little bit more and make life easier on Lamar Jackson. So they don't have to be so dependent on. Uh, you know, game flow and a rushing attack setting things up. I mean, I think wide receiver across the board is a place where I don't know that any team can ever be wrong by snagging a wide receiver, right? Now, don't make it your number one overall priority for every team. But if you, any team drafting a receiver in the third round is not going to be wrong, right? Because you should always have extra wide receivers coming in. The game is just too important from a passing point of view. Having said that, if there's a team out there that I don't think needs to go crazy for wide receivers, it's the Ravens. And to an extent, the 49ers, because their passing attacks function in different ways than most teams. They have a lot of receivers already. They're just a tight end. Right. And they have that running game. You know, they they don't need to go crazy. We saw how much of a difference Marquise Brown made the deep threat that can scare teams and change the game. Even when the ball's not going in his direction. Sure, they could use a second guy that, you know, is maybe an upgrade over a Willie Sneed or a Miles Boykin. But I don't go crazy for it, you know. Fair points. We've got the Ravens solved as well. They're going to go 16 and 0 next next year Sweet. because of that. All right, moving on to the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to just piggyback on what I said the other day. I think if their offseason starts with a Jason Peters signing and say Andrew Thomas getting drafted, it could be Andrew Thomas, it could be Tristan Warfs, could be Jedrick Wills at number 12 overall. I think you are instantly taking a bottom 10 offensive line. They were actually uh, 11th worst maybe last year by our rankings. I think they're instantly in the top 15. And also looking for short-term and long-term fixes. Peters and Thomas say, I think it's this best-case scenario to at least kick off the offseason for the Brownies. They're really interesting because their entire strategy went from, okay, we've nailed our quarterback. We finally got him. The jersey can stop ticking to the next guy. Now let's surround this guy with a team, right? Let's build an offense. Let's build a whole a whole roster around this guy so that we can actually become good. And we're now the division favorites and we can go on a Super Bowl run and everything's going great, right? To, oh my God, the building is on fire. Quick, let's put it out. Let's get rid of the problem. Let's bring in Stefanski. Let's get a new GM. So they've gone from like, everything's great. Let's roster build to let's stop the bleeding in this offseason, right? So I think job number one is to do that. It's to, okay, we, we went from thinking Baker Mayfield was awesome to, I don't even know if he's the guy anymore. So let's eliminate all the other variables, right? 
And one of those variables is we had Greg Robinson at left tackle and right tackle wasn't great either. So if they do not sign a Jason Peters or an Andrew Whitworth or a trade for Trent Williams, something is broken. Now, I'm not saying that's the only fix, but job one should be let's get solid at left tackle immediately and forget about everything else. Well, especially the way Baker played, right? We know that the weaknesses at tackle made him play in a more skittish manner than we had seen from him previously and the way that we had only seen him a little bit in Oklahoma. So, Well, yeah, so the, the real problem is that we don't know that that was doing it, but what we do know is that that's one of two possible explanations, right? Either Baker Mayfield inherently started to lean into all of his negatives and just start playing worse, or the bad, and that made the offensive line look worse, or the bad play on at offensive or at offensive tackle caused Baker Mayfield to start magnifying his negatives and the whole thing spiraled. You know what I mean? But either way, you need to, you need to make that a one option answer, right? Let's eliminate the, the possibility the tackle is at fault here and let's focus on Baker Mayfield. All right. Let's, let's talk hypothetically here. We talked about the Patriots, right? Number 23, you would trade it for Odell Beckham. If you're the Browns, would you trade Odell Beckham for number 23? And then, then you could grab an Andrew Thomas at 12 and then at 23, with this wide receiver talent, you get T. Higgins, you get Jalen Rager, you get the next wide receiver. And do, are, are you have you seen enough of Odell Beckham paired with Baker Mayfield to give up on that combination yet? No. Or would you rather get the next guy? Here's the thing. My, if, if I was moving Odell Beckham, it would be because the, this, the sheer volume of, let's call them strong personalities, in Cleveland last year was a mess, Right. Now, you can – I don't know where you put the blame with that, right? Does does the fact – was Freddie Kitchens a strong enough head coach to deal with all that and put it all together, right? Or is it just there's too much strength in terms of will and all that kind of stuff to pull in the same direction and function? Can it function that way? Now, I know Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham were teammates together in college, so we've seen it can kind of work. But one, that was without a Baker Mayfield in there as well. Two – they were both, you know, young and in college. Like people change. They're both now multimillionaires and powerful personalities and players at the NFL level. They're not the same as they were when they were functioning perfectly harmoniously in college. So I would be asking myself if I think that that combination can function. If I don't think it can, if I'm the Browns, the guy I'm trying to get rid of is Jarvis Landry because I think the talent in Odell Beckham is just too much to get rid of, right? I don't see enough from Jarvis Landry to make me go, okay, that's worth the pain in the ass. I see enough in terms of upside in Odell Beckham to make me think, okay, that's worth the headache, right? I can, I can roll with that and try and make that work. The way I usually look at rosters here, notice we haven't even mentioned a running back once as far as the rebuilds, but I look at rosters and I say, what kind of depth do you have at corner uh, quarterback and then depth at corner receiver? And then what is the O line looking like? Right. Last year, we're looking at this receiving core. It's like they brought in OBJ. You pair him with Landry, the possession guy, Rashard Higgins is a beautiful number three and even like a Taiwan Taylor who they bring in as like that random like 10 to 15 snap deep threat. It's like that is how I would build a wide receiver core because it has the elements. A receiving core I think needs the elements to challenge the defense in every which way. On paper this year though, the same group just looks, I mean Rashard Higgins is a free agent. Odell Beckham was not on the same page as Baker the entire time. Jarvis Landry is merely a complimentary piece in that whole equation I mean, is that the place that they just might need an entire overhaul and find guys that are going to fit 
with what Baker's trying to do, throwing the ball up the seam, give me some big-bodied guys that are going to go up and catch some of his tight window lasers that he is known for that kind of separated him from some of the other quarterbacks we thought in that class a couple of years ago. I think they should be drafting receivers, whatever, because, again, it's, it's a cost thing, right? If you can get cheaper at the same position, why not do it? But I, I, don't, I want to be in the same spot as tackle in terms of eliminating variables, right? And if you completely overhaul that group, you ship off Odell Beckham, you, you're left with Jarvis Landry, a rookie, Kaderil Hodge was the guy that was emerging late last season, has taken all Rashad Higgins' snaps and targets. Like, if that's your group, do you know what that should be producing from a quarterback point of view? Because I don't. Like, the rookie might suck. He might be Nikhil Harry in year one. Um, or he might be, like, you know what I mean? You just, you're adding more variables to a problem you don't want to add variables to, which is we do not know anymore if Baker Mayfield is the future quarterback for the Browns. We need to make sure that the the question we're answering is determined entirely by Baker Mayfield. It's not a mitigating circumstances with receiver. It's not mitigating our circumstances on the offensive line. It's we have patched those up. Those are viable. Now what does Baker Mayfield have? So fix Baker. I'd fix those the tackle situation. I think the other big question, I love the way their corners are. You always add there, but Joe Schobert bringing them back, probably not at that $10 million plus price tag, right? Correct. I think you've got to look at, you know, the draft, try and find yourself a coverage linebacker somewhere in the mid rounds. All right, moving on to the AFC South, starting with the Indianapolis Colts. Quarterback is the question, right? They have a lot of money yeah. tied up in Jacoby Brissett for one more season. Do you go the Phillip Rivers route? Do you go the Teddy Bridgewater route? Everybody's got it. Everybody at PFF has a perfect fit for Teddy. You love him in New England. Dr. Eager. Loves him in Indianapolis. I don't hate him in Indy either. I think that that makes sense as a fit for much. I mean, a lot of the same reasons. Um, it's a good environment. It's a quarterback friendly um, ecosystem. They well done. Thank you for stealing my term. Using my term. It's not um, stealing. They have. You know, they're they're well set up. You know, the, the, I keep saying the great tragedy of Andrew Luck walking away when he did is that that was the best roster that had ever been around him in Indianapolis, and right. we never got to see what he would do in it. Jacoby Brissett got that shot and didn't play any better than he did the first time around, even if his numbers were better, again, because the system is better, right? So you move on. Now, if you move on, Teddy's not a bad player to move on for, uh, with. Neither is Philip Rivers for different reasons, right? I think Philip Rivers, because the ecosystem is better, can look better than he did last year in, with the Chargers. What about— But he's a shorter-term deal. We've paired Marcus Mariota with so many different teams— <laughs> Only because I, it, the, the funny thing about the NFL is like until you see something, you don't copy it. So what we saw last year is Marcus Mariota is the starter. They brought in Ryan Tannehill. And now all of a sudden it's like, let's copy that strategy. It just happens to be with Mariota now. So we've done this, right? Mariota go to Chicago with Trubisky. Mariota go to wherever else, right? As this backup and maybe he's better than the starter. See what happens. What about doing that here? Mariota. Probably better. I think Mariota is a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, but it's marginal. So are you bringing in Marcus Mariota as a starter or are you bringing him in as like competition or are you bringing him in as the backup that could like the Tannehill? From if it team? happened, I think teams would copy what they do. Like Tannehill, oh, he's just in the background. Let's wait till Marcus like really screws it up and then Tannehill's in. Right. I feel like if the Colts did that, they would do the same thing with Jacoby. The problem with that is you're basically saying Jacoby is still good enough to be a viable starter, which he clearly was. Yeah, but that's more like playing the QB room and the mental game and all that stuff. Right. But my point, it's not so much that it's not the PR problem. It's the fact that you've basically said we're not hoping to get much better than Jacoby Brissett. 
<laughs> if, if you're coming in and saying this guy is not a clear upgrade over Jacoby, but we're hoping he steals the job when Jacoby plays, plays bad enough, like that's, that's real lack of ambition at the quarterback position. You need to be coming in here and saying, all right, the way he played was not acceptable. We need to be way better than that. Here is our solution to that. And it's uh, whatever it is, whether it's a Teddy, whether it's a Philip Rivers, whether it's a Jameis, whatever. You, you have to say that we need to get significantly better than we saw last year. Mariota is not achieving that if you're saying, okay, we're going to bring him in as like a competition thing. What if the Colts with the second most cap space just try to drop the hammer? They go Tom Brady, Amari Cooper. Now we just play fantasy football. Tom Brady, Amari Cooper, Tyler Eifert. Okay. You know, as the, yeah, yeah. The, the, you just, just go playmaker central and bring in Brady. I mean, seriously, the Brady thing crazy. is not a terrible idea. Like Tom Brady, a, again, superior ecosystem, right? He's got a good offensive line there in Indianapolis. They've got the chance to add some weapons, whether it's, I mean, maybe not the Amari Cooper thing, but you can draft them. You can also target, you know, mid, uh, a, somewhere in free agency, whether it's a Robbie Anderson, although you've got a deep threat already, whether it's an Emmanuel Sanders, whether it's my favorite reclamation project, Rashad Perriman, whatever. There's options in free agency to add another weapon to T.Y. Hilton. Um, that and, and you get to put Brady in a dome for the last, potentially the last year or two of his career. Absolutely. Um, I don't, I honestly think that's a good spot. I for think him, Brady and Cooper with Ty would be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and then look, they've got three picks in the first two rounds. They got two second rounders again. They've done a nice job of of accumulating draft capital. Maybe you attack offense even further with one of the crazy wide receivers. Man, I, I love playing fantasy football with playmakers, though. Yes, every reason that people are using for Philip Rivers being a good fit in Indianapolis is also applicable to Tom Brady. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rivers uh, playing behind the nice offensive line, again, assuming Anthony Costanzo comes back, by all accounts, he wants to come back to Indy. They would feel pretty good as a top 5-0 line again. Quentin Nelson's the best guard in, NFL, in the NFL. Braden Smith has been good at right tackle. If Costanzo's there, they're solid. Um, defensively, is this where they start throwing cap money at the edge defenders? Is this where it's like a Jadavian Clowney? It's a Shaq Barrett. It's a guy that can get after the quarterback, which they don't really. They have Justin Houston there. But it's not like they're set up for the future with guys that can get after the quarterback. They've done a nice job defensively, taking a no-name bunch of guys and been reasonable. But is this the time that they start to add star power to that defense? Yeah, same argument as the Bills, right? They're in a similar spot in terms of we've not been grading that group tremendously well. They've got a couple of They've studs. been okay, though. The Bills have yeah, been yeah. really good defensively. No, I know, but it's the same logic, right? I think they've been better than the sum of their parts from a talent point of view. They're lower down on that list, but it's the same idea, right? So if you start adding superstar talent to that group that's already outperforming their talent level, you move the needle. Um, so, yeah, I think Justin Houston played well last year, but he's getting on in years, and he's been an injury question mark for the last few seasons. So, yes, if you can add legitimate outside pass rush to that, absolutely. I also think everybody on that defensive front could be upgraded upon if you snag the right uh, prospect, whether it's you know one of those uh, top interior guys in the draft, Derek Brown, um, or whatever, I think there's plenty of places on that defense you could upgrade in terms of talent. There's a lot of people talking Derek Brown, probably more likely Javon Kinlaw going right. there. I don't know. I'm still of the mind. If I come out of the first round with a defensive tackle in this draft, I'm just not that excited. I'm not excited. No matter, no matter which team I am. I'm not necessarily excited, but I think for a team like this, where you're talking about just raising the bar, raising the level 
of talent in a specific spot that's already functioning well, I think that's actually a really good investment of resources just because of the, the sort of comfort factor of knowing what you're doing. All right. So the Colts add some star power on defense, figure out quarterback. I would either way, I think first priority, I would try to upgrade over Jacoby Brissett just because I think there's seven or eight guys that do that. Yeah. So I'd say that's the first priority. Great. Add playmakers, get Costanzo back. Colts solved. Fair. Who's next on my list? In the order that they the Houston Texans are next on my AFC South list. The Texans are very similar to the Rams, where you're sitting here again in this snapshot of time, and it's like, all right, now's our chance. We have to fix this, this, and this. How do we do it? Oh no, where did our draft picks go? Yeah, or the Steelers. Or the Steelers, right? The same thing we just said with the Steelers. Where's our cap space? Where is where are our draft picks? So the Texans have the cap space. But they don't have the draft picks because Laramie Tunsil is their next, their first round pick for the next twelve years, right? <laughs> yeah. So Houston almost certainly has to go the free agency route. They've got three, six, eighth most cap space. So is this going to be one of those off seasons where like Houston wins the off season because they're putting all these guys around it to Deshaun Watson and it's going to feel like they did as much as anybody else? But you still lack that build from within over the last couple of years that has been kind of hit or miss. Yeah, you do. The good news for that is that they have the quarterback already. Of right? course. They're in That's a good a spot. a great start. Yeah, they're in a good spot because they have Deshaun Watson, who has superstar-level talent, um, maybe not superstar-level production throughout the entirety of the season. We've talked before about how there's always the sort of stinking game just around the corner. Right. But in theory, you're set, right? You know that you've got a, a quality quarterback you can build around. And you don't have any draft picks anymore. You've got just the one second round pick in the first two days, again, like the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's start throwing some money around at some quality players. Now, honestly, I'd be kind of tempted to bring back DJ Reader amongst their own free agents. Let's start, you know, with what's leaving the building before we start adding things. I Again, I don't really see an upside to letting him walk out. He showed last year that he can be a really good interior player. He's obviously a, a monster run stuffer. Um, but he was also, you know, a reasonable pass rusher for a guy that weighs as much as a small moon. Think, so, so think Grady Jarrett. Like Grady, this is what's tough with re-signing those guys. The Falcons get three, four years of excellent production out of Grady Jarrett, and then you have to re-up him, and all of a sudden he becomes one of the highest-paid guys. He goes from a steal to like, oh, is he really worth all that money? I don't know. I just went full, full roll. I don't know, Jim. I don't know if he's worth all that. I don't know. He's better on a rookie contract. You get seventeen million a year for that. I could do that. I could do that. Watch, they're going to run right. How's that? Perfect. How's that Tony Romo uh-huh. impression? Anyway, um, that, that's the risky part about Reader. And I do love the concept of stitching together your defensive line with like the Indomitian Sues and, you know, the, the old guys in this market right now. I feel like you could save money, get some one and two year stop gaps while you build from within there instead of maybe overpaying for Reader at a less valuable position when corner is the place. They've got the cap money, and it's got to be Byron Jones and yes. Chris Harris. It's got to be the top. They have to come away with one of those top guys, right? Yeah, well, stop after Byron Jones. This is the team that should be securing Byron Jones at all costs. Um, it honestly, it almost doesn't matter what it, what it costs to get him. He is a perfect fit in this defensive scheme. Um, they should 100% make that happen because they have the cap space to do it, and they can go toe-to-toe with anybody who's wanting to get him. I think the combination of Byron Jones to Houston is one of the best off-season combinations you can put in any scenario, whether it's draft or free agency. Yeah, so this is, I don't love the the construction of Houston's roster because of the massive holes on the back seven. 
And I said it all year. I'm doing Houston radio every week. And it's like, how do you feel about them? Ah, they had one good game last week, you know, coverage wise, but I just don't trust them long term. And ultimately, that was their, their downfall. I think this year, even if it's like using, using their draft capital on corners and grabbing a Byron Jones, but this is the risky part of where Houston has been. They've, they've been limited. They, they lost a lot of draft capital because of Deshaun Watson, which is fine. You got to go get the quarterback. And then they lost a lot of draft capital because of Laramie Tunsil. I think once I don't mind the one move to go get the quarterback, but the same thing I said about the Jets. Once you do it once, you then have to, to you have to get it back. So like the ideal scenario is you go crazy in one trade to go get your quarterback. You feel good about him. The next draft almost immediately needs to be trade back, trade back, trade back, trade back as much as possible and get your assets back as much as possible, right? So you're not sitting here and heading into year 4 of Deshaun Watson's career and it's like how do we build how do we build around him how do we give him a better offensive line how do we give this team a secondary to handle shootouts and all that stuff they're not in a great spot there so they're going to have to spend the money and i think you know a byron jones as a starting point makes sense but it might, it's, it might have to be even more than that too like i would i would love a a long term byron jones and then the whole ronald darby short term deal like i keep coming back to like you know, throw one year and see what you can get out of him yeah i mean they're also in a spot where they're going to be hoping that last year's top draft picks pan out, you know, in the, you know, this year, sort of like the Falcons, right. Where they, they doubled down on the offensive line and everyone's like, all right, it's fixed. Like, well, it probably isn't fixed last year, but it might be fixed this year. And that's what I'm saying about the, they, they had such a hole at offensive line, not a lot of draft capital to do it. They attacked the offensive line and then it's like, okay, all these other holes right. are, are popping up. It's but whack-a-mole, they, Sam. Yeah, it's what it is. Sure. But they have they have secured left tackle, right? If they get guard and right tackle nailed with Max Sharping and Titus Howard taking a step forward in year two, suddenly the offensive line is actually in pretty good shape. And now you can really start to focus on the other holes that are appearing. And you have the money to do it in terms of a Byron Jones. You know, you can you can add some depth in free agency as well with some of those bargain second wave free agents that are always the best place to spend your money anyway. And actually suddenly that roster is not in bad shape at all. Even if you only have the one um, first two day draft picks, the one second round pick in the first two days. I like your optimistic view. Thank you. A rare optimistic view from Sam there. Nice job playing whack-a-mole, get Byron Jones, get the corners and expect that offensive line to uh, just get better in year two, which, you know, old linemen do. All right, AFC South further, Tennessee Titans. Let's go there. Quarterback. Well, they got to figure out how to replace Derrick Henry first and foremost. Okay. Okay. What do they do with quarterback here? What do they – I I said it all along that I don't see any way you can't franchise tag Ryan Tannehill and basically make him fail next year, um, which I mean, fails the wrong word. Make him prove that he can't. replicate what he did in 2019 because I just don't see there's any way that he can do that. But you're kind of bound to make him give it the shot because he played so ridiculously well. I I think it would be an incredible move for them to say, we are so acutely aware of how uh, unpredictive what you just did is and how unlikely it is for you to repeat it that we're going to let you walk out the door without any real option to replace that. I think that would be an incredible move that I'm not at all confident any NFL team would make. But the the timing of this is tricky, right? Because they have to franchise. If they're going to franchise Tannehill, they have to do it before free agency. Yeah. There's a lot of rumors, you know, Vrabel's FaceTime and Tom Brady. They're going to bring Brady in, right? If you take a macro view at the Tennessee Titans, though, 
they have trotted out nine and seven teams for like the last 10 years, right? Is what it's, it feels like, right? They are a nine and seven team because they have nine and seven quarterbacks. I know Tannehill was a seven and two guy last year and he was, he was outstanding last year, but it's one of the beauties of having eight years of data on him. It is very difficult for him to duplicate that. Him and Marcus Mariota are a lot closer as quarterbacks than maybe last year would indicate if you could, you know, if you could separate the nine, well, an 11 game sample of Tannehill, 12 game sample where he was excellent and then, you know, slowed down at the end. If you take that view, this is still a very good roster, right? In multiple years, a very good roster, pretty good quarterback play. And then it's like, well, we could go get Tom Brady and try to hit a home run with a still a very good roster, a nine and seven roster. Brady makes it an 11 win roster. And then we're a buy team or, well, you know, second round, <laughs> a number two seed team, whether that's a buy or not. And then we've got a better shot at the playoff run. Like, is that the viewpoint that they should be taking given the roster that they have? And it's like really risky to roll the dice again with Tannehill, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Brady is the only quarterback, I think. Brady is the only other option, I think, that would enable them to do what I just said was impossible for the Tannehill thing, right? To say, no, you know what? We're going to go in a different direction. If the different direction is Tom Brady, I think you can you can get away with that. You can sell that. If the different direction is anything else, I think it's just – it's way too – it's way too um, unusual a stand to take for them to honestly get away with it. Like, it would be nuts. Um, but So I think the Brady thing would work. I think Tannehill showed last year that he can play really well in that system. Even if you project a step backwards towards more, you know, first few years, Ryan Tannehill, that level of baseline, I think this is still a functional offense. Um, I, look, I think the Derrick Henry thing is worth covering. I obviously... From PFF's point of view, you don't pay the running back giant, you know, contract money. You don't give him a Zeke Elliott kind of deal because if every if the environment around him falls apart, so will his production. And if the environment around him doesn't fall apart, you can get most of that production from somebody else. So it's not worth the giant investment in money. You should use that resource somewhere else that will enable whoever is back there to function at a really high level. And I, st- I keep coming back to. Uh, the receiving core, we saw A.J. Brown look like a leg- legitimate number one. He didn't do great in the playoffs, though. And it, again, it's one of those things where it, Corey Davis might not be on the Hall of Fame track. Mm. That was expected. Getting They added Adam Humphreys last year. Getting a compliment, another, all right, throw another guy at the receiving core. They're losing Logan Ryan at corner. It used to be their strength saying, hey, we can trot out Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson, and Logan Ryan. And as far as like a one to three group of corners, that was like top five in the league, right? And but the fickle nature of coverage, it's like, you know, some weeks look good, some weeks don't. So they need more resources thrown on the back end as well. And it seems like they've needed a consistent pass rusher for a while now. Cameron Wake, still old. Harold Landry, you know, jury still out. So still old. Hasn't discovered the fountain of youth. Hasn't, in fact, got younger. Still old, right? Yeah. That's the analysis. Cameron Wake, still old. I would be fascinated by Brady here, though. Brady throwing to, if they'd added nobody else, A.J. Brown, legitimate number one. Adam Humphreys, the guy that the Patriots tried to get for Brady. And Corey Davis as a possession big body number two. I feel like they, and Jonu Smith, a tight end, I feel like they could, Delaney, Delaney Walker, I feel like that's a decent group of playmakers where Brady would look at this and say, I could deal with that. O-line's reasonable enough. I think this is one of the situations where Brady might want to land. Yeah, it's not a bad place. I mean, but, this is a team that made the postseason last year. But I think the play for Tennessee is franchise Tannehill. I th- that's the one that makes the most sense, right? And honestly, the thing, the really tough spot about this is that Tannehill will 
almost certainly take a massive step backwards next year. So you're essentially saying the right move for you is to, for one year, snag a quarterback who you know will be much worse than he was a year ago. But that's kind of the situation you're left with because he played so well last season. You're just stuck with it. Off a little bit of hope. Yeah. But it's not the same as like rolling Mitch Trubisky back out there or Blake Bortles. It's like... It's you won games because of Ryan Tannehill, not despite of him. Yes, which is different. And so even, you're trying to recapture the magic where like he say, led you to the playoffs. Even if you get early career Ryan Tannehill as your baseline, you're still way better than a Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Tannehill was a he was an underrated. He was a good, solid player. Had a good situation last year. Titans fixed ish. Jacksonville Jaguars to round out the AFC South. Oh, God. This is the fun part. We're trying. This is where we're, we're going to. This is one of those teams that can't be fixed in an offseason. We're going to save the Jags. It's been a, a big fall from their 2017. Here's, here's the Jags history from like 12 to 17. You've got this team just stacking up high draft picks to the point where they had a pretty good roster. And you're sitting there in 2016 and 17 saying, where are the holes on this team? It comes together for one year. They go to the AFC championship and then it's all falling apart. The team that was built with this incredible coverage unit, Jalen Ramsey's gone. They just traded A.J. Boye. There goes the coverage unit. They were a great pass rushing team. That's been depleted. And they were never a great offense, but, you know, they stitched it it together well enough where every year you're like, hey, just throw a wide receiver at them and, you know, they might be a pretty good offense. Now the holes are glaring and they're everywhere. What's tough for a fan base is taking a strike. Corner wasn't a strength in your offseason needs column for the last like four years in Jacksonville. And now all of a sudden, other than just, you know, deciding on quarterback, figure out who's going to cover somebody on the back end in Jacksonville. Well, I mean, effectively every player of consequence from that team that, you know, should, could have made the Super Bowl is not there anymore. Calais Campbell, maybe the only one that's left, right? Um, so the entire thing is turned over and you consequently need to rebuild almost everything. It's Calais and like Miles Jack, pretty much. You're right. So you're left with on the defense, a receiving core that needs help, an offensive line that could use upgrades, an entire defense that needs talent, like everything. This, you have a modest amount of camp space, and you have a pretty good draft situation, and that you have two first round picks and a couple more first day uh, or first two day selections, rather. Right. So you're in a reasonable spot in that you have um, ammunition. You're in a terrible spot in that you can use them everywhere. Their biggest off-season problem, though, I think, has to be what the hell is the quarterback situation heading into 2020? So the rumors are that they want to trade Nick Foles. And, I mean, yeah, I would try to see if there's any sort of value there as well. I think the, I think they have to just kind of roll with Gardner Minshew. Also, how proactive would you be if you're Jacksonville in, say, the Tua sweepstakes? So you feel good about Minshew. He was our most valuable quarterback last year as a rookie, most valuable qu- rookie quarterback, meaning he graded better, graded better than Kyler Murray, graded better than Daniel Jones. Marginally. And by Dwayne Haskins. Margin- like By a little bit, but he had more volume, and he did a nice job on, on lesser teams too. Remember the Jag, like The fact that the Jags had this not, gr- not good group of playmakers that he turned into pretty reasonable too for a while, there's something to that. Yeah, so you've, he, he's... A, sample size is obviously an issue when you're talking about these kinds of things. But B, you kind of kind of look at how that season unfolded in that he hit the ground running and was like incredible right out of the gate. It's like, wow, Minshew's actually a thing. Like Minshew's the quarterback of the future that nobody saw coming. 
And then you put Nick Foles back in, and Minshew kind of comes back, and it's like, okay, it's not quite the same. He anymore. did slow down down the stretch. Right. It's right. Like, I, to the point where I was surprised he actually got the job back because so, I didn't think he did enough to make the switch. So you're kind of like, well, okay, now what is he? Like he's a guy that really was cooking right out of the gate, and then later on, eh. So my point is, feel good about that, and then do you go all in on, say, a Tua with two first-round picks? You've got 20 and 9. Is that enough plus something else to get up to two or three or wherever you need to get to to get a Tua? Or, again, everybody's going to value these quarterbacks differently. Is Justin Herbert in play for you at nine? Completely different quarterback from Gardner Minshew. Our friends over at the forecast actually debated, is Justin Herbert better than Gardner Minshew? I don't know that he is. But the thing about this, every time you're trying to get a quarterback, uh, to steal Eric's phrase that nobody understands, you're chasing the fat tail, Sam. Chasing. You're chasing the fat tail of the distribution, which is essentially your... It's almost hard to believe nobody understands Nobody that. understands that. Um, chasing the fat tail is just trying to get that, that upside, the quote-unquote upside, right? So that's, where you, that's why you continue to take shots at quarterback. Is this with Jacksonville, with all their other holes and needs, do you just take another shot at quarterback, or do you say four picks in the first two days, add value positions, add corners, add receivers, build around Gardner? Obviously depends how you analyze all these quarterbacks available from our analysis or from mine. I think um, it kind of depends where Tua slides to. If you have to get to two to make it happen, I would punt. That might be rich. Move on. Yeah. Um, roll with Minshew for a year, see what happens there. If he starts slipping to five, six, seven, I would make some phone calls, find out what that would take. You know, and if it's too rich, back off. But I'd certainly be interested at that point. Um, beyond that, I think you need to start preparing everything else that's wrong with this roster and then maybe address it in a year's time if Minshew doesn't take a step forward. So fill all those needs. I think corner, like if they grabbed a wide receiver at nine and a corner at 20, the the board, the value of the board matches up pretty well. Yeah. Again, I, if they walk away with a Derek Brown with one of those two first round picks with all their other glaring needs, I just, I hate that. I just hate it so much. And I don't hate Derek Brown as a player. Well, for this team, I think that would be silly. For this team in particular. I was, I was fine with that for, you know, a team like the Colts who are in a pretty good spot and could potentially make a significant upgrade to a, a team that's already functioning well. The Jags need to, they need like a sea change at several positions. So you need to completely transform the talent at a receiver or at a high impact position, not just at a player, at a position that you think will generally impact the defense overall. So attack high impact positions might want to look at the next left tackle option going forward at number nine as well, even though they grabbed Juwan Taylor last year. I just want to say this at a high level before we move on. You have to know the market when it comes to quarterbacks. And a year ago, throwing a ton of money at Nick Foles when he's truly not even a top 20 quarterback in today's NFL, knowing what was coming in at quarterback, what was currently at quarterback, and now, not that you can anticipate the landscape of like eight starters being available a year later, but you can look around the NFL and say, okay, Eli Manning's like the 32nd best quarterback. Eli's not like LOL terrible. Like he's starting caliber quarterback still in the NFL compared to some of these other guys, right? So throwing all that money at Nick Foles and then sitting here a year later and trying to trade him in a market where he's like the 10th best, 11th best available quarterback on the market. Yeah, if you throw in Cam Newton as a trade, in a Andy Dalton as a trade option, and the eight other free agents. I mean, their other thing is right that a year ago, Falls hits the market. The Jags are basically the only team interested, and they bid against themselves and give him a large amount of money that he didn't justify because apparently they needed the respect of the locker room. And now it makes it harder now, to flip him. To be fair, 
there's a lot of people that have already been fired. So, you know, <laughs> appropriate blame has been apportioned and people have been booted out of the building for these decisions. But it is worth underlining just how absurd that is as a strategy that we take a guy who we're not sure is going to be the future because ultimately we've talked all the time about Nick Foles being you know, hot or cold. He's the only guy that can rival Jameis Winston in terms of volatility on a game-to-game basis. Um, there was a reason that you were the only team that was really interested in that. It's because you were desperate for quarterbacks, and this was the one guy that maybe had the future as a, a legit franchise guy because he just won a Super Bowl. But ultimately, there were enough warts to that guy's game where you should have built in a very team-friendly contract that you know maybe paid him big money if he justified it. Right. You didn't. Instead, you went the other way and you threw extra money at him as like a as like a show thing. It's like, oh, people will buy into the idea of him as a legit franchise guy if we give him all this money. If we don't, no one will buy it. It just looks ridiculous. So Nick Foles move risky and turns out not so good. Gardner Minshew in the sixth round, incredibly valuable. Yeah. Great asset to have for the Jaguars and, you know, some things to work with. All right. Finally, let's move on to the AFC West. We didn't really fix the Jags. But. Well, find some high value positions. Okay. Receivers and corners. I, I said receiver at nine, corner at 20, build around Gardner fixed. All right. All right. Ish. All right. Kansas City Chiefs. Let's fix your Super Bowl champion Chiefs. <laughs> um, not everybody's going to get fixed. But if you want to repeat... I think, you know, Bashad Breland and Kendall Fuller, both free agents. I like the idea of bringing Fuller back, the way they used him, versatile, safety, slash corner. They moved him around. Um, again, assets on the back end because Spags, their defensive coordinator, Spags. Spags, has done a nice job playing to their skill sets, figuring things out, using a Tyron Matthew the way you're supposed to use him, all those guys, right? Assets on the back end, even though they won the Super Bowl with, on paper, not a great group. Well, that's the thing. That's what makes this a great spot for the Chiefs is that they just won a Super Bowl. They have the most talented quarterback in the league playing out of his mind and apparently only just learned to read defenses like a week and a half ago. That's not what he said. Um, So, and your defense wasn't good. Like it it went from being awful to being reasonable, right? Took a big step forward, but there's massive room for growth in this defense. So you can spend this entire offseason essentially throwing everything you have at trying to make a defense that's good then how the hell do you stop the Chiefs in 2020? So job one is franchise tag and extend Chris Jones. Like, keep him in the building. Whatever you need to do, don't let him leave. If it's only one year, fine. But do not let Chris Jones be playing for a football team other than Kansas City in 2020. You want somebody that's going to alter game plans. And he can. Up right. there, right? So, yeah, he, he can take over games in a way not many defensive linemen can. You should not let that leave for almost any reason. Um, and then job two is, as you say, attack cornerback, right? You've got a couple of guys that are hitting free agency. Even if you hadn't, they would be guys you should be looking to upgrade upon anyway. So find yourself some corners, throw resources at it, draft, um, absolutely. And I think there is room for this Chiefs team to get even better. What if they really try to break the league? Everybody's like, again, when people do mock drafts, it's like, where's the need on this team? Oh, they don't have a name at running back. Let's give them a running back at 32. So we've seen, you know, running backs mocked at 32. And we've seen, you know, people, Eric has come back and said, oh, well, everybody that says this guy's going to, this guy's going to dominate. He's going to eat in the chief scheme. Mm. Right. And like, that's kind of the point, right? Like Damian Williams ate in this scheme. So continue to just put the next running back out there. Let him eat. In the scheme, I want to know if you really try to break the league. Sammy Watkins, let him go. Mm-hmm. Get the next big 
receiver. Yet another one of the, in this receiver-rich class, right? Don't let the league catch up. You're an explosive offense. Don't let the league catch up. You need some, you know, Tyree Kill's been banged up a little bit here and there. The offense is a little different without him there. You got Miko Hardman. Get another receiver to add to that mix. Really break the league. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, you're never going to be wrong if you take a receiver in the third round. Good, because I suggest it for every single team. Yeah, exactly. So the Chiefs, if they came around, if they came out of this draft with a second or third round receiver, I wouldn't hate it. I'm saying back into the first, maybe no. one of those top guys. I go cornerback. A tank cornerback at the top of the draft. The value should be there. I you think. should have some value. And that is so as much as we talk about, look, let's let's think long term. You, I mean, at some point, a need is a need, right? And you actually need to attack that pretty aggressively. The Chiefs do not have great corners. They were able to get away with it a year ago by going very game plan, game plan specific. But at some point, there's no substitute for actual talent, and you don't have a ton of that on the back end. So get it. Add some depth on the offensive line. I would go second second wave of free agency. Sure. As far as the old line goes, add some cornerback talent. And I'd be intrigued by more playmakers there. I mean, they're another team that should be looking at those reclamation projects at cornerback, whether it's a Ronald Darby, whether, you know, you could bring in a guy like Trey Waynes, who's got some skills, but is a limited player. Uh, Prince of Mukamaru got cut because nobody ever values that guy, even though he plays better than most cornerbacks in the NFL. And there are certain guys around the league. Stefan Wisniewski is the guy you keep mentioning right. on the offensive line. Like, just bring him in every year. He'll be better I mean, than a lot of the other guys. Prince of Mukamara and Stefan Wisniewski Prince. are essentially the same guy. On a different, yeah. different position. I love it. Good call on Mukamara. Absolutely. I like that fit as well. All right. Chiefs fixed. They're going to be uh, competing. Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders. They're no Oakland anymore. They're actually. Las Vegas. No, I decided I, I was going to wait. When does the league? When does the league season, the the league year officially start? I saw the big board behind their uh, radio road desk at wherever the hell we were just at the combine. Combine, right? They they're Las Vegas now. It's done. I I made my own rule. I was going to wait until the league year started. Well, unless which you is have, when free agency unless starts. Unless you have a an advertising hoarding behind you that says Oakland Raiders, I'm not buying it. All right, fine. Las Vegas Raiders. How are we going to fix the Raiders? Where do we start here Ugh. with the Raiders? They remember all the, the you know two first round picks once again after having three last year. Didn't love the way they went last year. Got to get leadership. Less less because of the actual well, in part because of the actual players, but mostly because they got our fifth edge defender at number four overall. They got a strong safety who didn't play last year. That's not the point. They got a strong safety and they got a running back. And again. The running back was fantastic last year. And it didn't matter. And it didn't really move the needle as far as winning football games. You're not just trying to draft good players anymore, Sam. We're trying to draft valuable players, my new shirt. Mm -hmm. Um, So they need to draft valuable players with their first two picks. And I think, again, we come back to receiver and corner as the two biggest needs for the Raiders. Receiver, definitely. Um, I mean, they did remarkable things given what that receiving core actually was last year. Uh, they were helped out massively by Darren Waller coming kind of from nowhere and becoming a really valuable and legitimate threat as a receiving tight end where he'd previously been a, you know, uh, triple option wide receiver in college. A ton of credit for that move. That was outstanding. Yeah. So that helped that offense hugely, but ultimately you're still left with a receiving core that's like Zay Jones, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro. You know, they need players at receiver. They need guys that can get open. They need impact players. And as we said before, it's a great draft for doing it. Um, so I think that should absolutely be in play for either one of their first round picks. 
you should be in a spot to get one of the top wide receivers. You're probably going to miss out on at least one of the very, like whether it's whatever teams I think are probably split on Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb as their number one wide receiver. At least one of those guys is probably off the board by 12, but you might get the other one. And even if you don't, you know, you go down to 19, um, you're going to have the next wave, I think, of receivers, whether it's a, a Denzel Mims, you know, whether it's a, a, a T. Higgins, you're going to have some quality receiving options in that first round. You should absolutely come away with one wide receiver. I would say here's the other way I would fix the, Ra- uh, the Raiders. I don't completely buy into the Brady rumors going there. I also don't know that that's a move that they need to make or, or whatever. But tickets. Assuming Derek Carr is the quarterback there, you're gonna you're gonna fire up some Matthew Stafford 2019 film and watch Stafford going full YOLO down the field and say, "Look, Derek, you don't have Derek. You don't have Stafford's arm, but you are more than capable of making every last throw." Derek Carr's peaks which was mostly like 2016 and early 17, right? His peak looked outstanding. His uh, his you know work his work with Amari Cooper was awesome. Touchdown the field, he can zip it in, the dig, the post, the all of that stuff. I want Derek Carr attacking down the field. And you get the playmakers for him to do it, and your offense will be better. And you don't run the offense through Josh Jacobs. You run the offense through Derek Carr attacking vertically down the field because he's capable, and you stop tr- taking a guy who's more talented than Alex Smith and having him play like Alex Smith. You know the uh, the song Stairway to Heaven? Yes, I do. Have you seen their quarterback depth chart right now? Because their quarterback depth chart reminds me a little bit of like Stairway to Disappointment. Oh, it's like we start off with Derek Carr, right? And already that's a sort of what could have been. You know, 2016, we saw this guy look like he might be the next great quarterback, and then ugh. Mike Glennon is the bank up. He had a nice like, rookie season in 2013. Right. It's like, oh, look, Mike Glennon might be. The, oh, no, not so much. Deshaun Kaiser. Is he had that one good three. game in 2017 as a rookie. Right now. It's like, oh, look at those tools. And then, ooh, no, no, no. And then the fourth quarterback right now is Nathan Peterman. And that was like, well, the analytics look kind of, ooh, no. He was the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl because he checked down. I remember my analysis was like, because he checked down more than the other guys and didn't miss as many throws. Yeah. He was the best quarterback in the right. senior bowl. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, he's, yeah, he's got a noodle of an arm, but he's been pretty accurate. And then in the NFL, it's like, well, okay, but he was accurate to all the defenders. So that, to me, the, the, the Raiders quarterback depth chart is stairway to discipline. That's not fixing them at all. It's Thank not, you. but I just thought it was kind of funny. It is pretty funny. So I would say, again, we're repeating ourselves. Receivers and corners should be at a premium at the place where they're going to pick. I also wouldn't hate the fact they don't, have a, they don't have a second round pick. I would not hate if they took 19 or 12. Continued a couple of seconds. Their roster just needs so much help at crucial spots that you you add some more seconds. You just continue to add depth to that roster. What do you do with Derek Carr? I think you you trot him back out there and you and you try to you try to be aggressive with him. I think you can win with Derek Carr, right? But sure. But in this in this off season of uh, exceptional quarterback availability, do you think about a change? I don't think that there's enough exceptional upgrades, at least not long-term. I mean, yes, like would Brady in two years be better than Derek Carr? Probably, but also not definitely. I, I don't see where else you've got – do they do the Marcus Mariota thing? Right? Just every, if anybody can get Marcus Mariota for like $3 million, <laughs> then that's worth it. I agree. As soon as, as Mariota spends – you know, remember Bridgewater signed a backup deal for like 8 to $10 million a couple years ago with the Jets. Like that's, that's a lot of cap space to spend on like a, you know, maybe – yeah. 
So I, yeah, sure. Anyway, the Raiders, I would say, spin your draft capital. You want to look back at this Khalil Mack trade, which I th- everybody was like, "LOL, Raiders, you idiots." If we you, we want to look back at this Khalil Mack trade and say, "Well worth it for the long term health of the of the team." It was the right move at the time for the long term health of the team, in my opinion, See, and by all the numbers. But at some point, it's not even about picking the right players. It's about picking impact positions. That will help you look back and say, look at how much better our team is. But ultimately, that's the argument against the Khalil Mack trade, right? Is that you have to turn those picks into players who ultimately have to be combined to be worth more than Khalil Mack. But if you, do it the, if you do what the Seahawks did last year and turn one first into six other picks, sure. and then it's like, okay, Khalil Mack essentially netted us like 12 right. players. You can maximize Eight. the chance of that happening, right? Like, look, the Raiders have done a bad job of of even approaching making that a reality in terms of making the Khalil Mack thing match up to guys that are worth more than Khalil Mack. But so they've done it. They've done a really awful job of actually, you know, making that of maximizing their chances of hitting on that. But that's the reason people argue for the keeping him around is that, you know, you have an all pro superstar here. And even if it's going to cost you a lot of money, the certainty of knowing that he is awesome is valuable. Yeah, it is. And it's weighed up against the uncertainty of being able to turn what you get for him into something as valuable or more valuable. Now, you can maximize your chances of doing that by hitting the right positions and by trading down and getting more of those shots, but it's still a gamble, and ultimately the Raiders gambled and failed so far. So far. That's where they are right now. Continue to trade down, find those valuable positions, unleash Derek Carr next year. All right, we've got two more teams to fix here, Sam. Los Angeles Chargers... Has to start with the quarterback position. Tyrod Taylor, currently the starter. I know where you're, you're just going to roll with Tyrod. That's your guy. Roll with Tyrod. Well, I'm, hmm. I'm just, I'm intrigued by Tyrod because he's the quarterback that no one is talking about this offseason. And I can understand why, because when he started last with the Browns, he was god-awful, like abysmal. But you go back to his time in Buffalo, and he was a lot better than a lot of people were giving him credit for. He was fine. It's just his style-wise, takes too many sacks, and just doesn't hit the the short and intermediate stuff as efficiently as other quarterbacks. It's a lot of sure, but it's a lot of boomer bust down the field to and offset that bad he has, drives. Yes, but to offset that he has rushing ability and talent that, that does if, help. That if you maximize, and a lot of coaches don't, can mitigate a lot of that stuff. Right. So I'm not saying he's he's uh, Lamar Jackson or anything, but if you build an offense that specifically gives that thing focus, it makes him better within the system. So if the Chargers are willing to buy into that, which they're probably not. Then you'd be okay with Tyrod. Other, but they really need to go. I mean, so, look, draft competition by all means, but don't discount the possibility that Tyrod Taylor can be a viable starting quarterback in the NFL again and function. They're sitting there at number six in the draft. Mm-hmm. If our number three quarterback, Justin Herbert, is on the board, we don't think he's as clean of a prospect as Joe Burrow or Tua, but do you still have to just take a, take a shot at him at six? I don't love just taking a shot at, I mean, I would, so if two is gone at six, or if you don't have, if you don't think you can get as high as you need to, to get two, look, two is the optimum scenario for the Chargers, right? Two is somehow, they somehow come out of this draft with Tua and they now have Tua, Tua and Tyra Taylor as your bridge quarterback. That's like jackpot. That's yeah, that's beautiful. Pennies raining from the sky. That's everything being awesome. Um, if that doesn't happen, I would not force a quarterback at six just to get one. I might try and trade down from that spot and see how back, how far back in the first round I could get and still snag a Justin Herbert. 
but I really, I don't really don't love him to the point where I would be trying to shoehorn that fit to whatever it took to make it happen. I don't, I don't have confidence enough in his ability to be a franchise quarterback that I'm prepared to just take him wherever. Any of the other free agents intriguing there? Is this a Marcus Mariota spot? Is this a Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, if you uh, we're don't, not we're not talking guys like Dak because I, I'm just assuming they're going to end up in Dallas yeah. again, right? They're another team where I think you hang on and you take whoever's left standing, right? Because I don't think you're in a spot where you're in desperation mode. You have a Tyra Taylor. If you come out of the draft and you didn't get your quarterback of the future, and it's like, all right, now let's who's still? Do we still have a Marcus Mariota sitting here waiting for a, an ideal scenario landing spot? And can we talk him? into coming here and compete with a Tyrod Taylor. I'm all for that, but I think you wait at that point. The It's not an ideal strategy, but if the Chargers roll with Tyrod and say a Mariota, and they say, look, our best bet is winning on defense. That is where we've gotten corners and safeties. We have a good secondary. We've got a pass rush and all that stuff. Our only way of winning, even though it's a low percentage chance, is to play the uber ball control game. Maybe there's more Ravens-type run-heavy concepts uh, you know, offensively behind Tyrod or whoever's running it, and you just kind of kind of roll with the defense, which, again, we know is, is really risky. I'd also be really tempted at number six to bring in Isaiah Simmons just to pair him with Derwin James. Yeah, of course you would. I would just love to see that. At number six, I think another spot is the best tackle on the board because for like the 58th yeah. year in a row, the Chargers need to fix their entire offensive line. Just traded Russell Okung for Trey Turner. Yeah. Who comes in. Who in and of himself is not fixing anything. Like, when was the last time Trey Turner was actually playing well? I mean, he's solid. The thing is... He, he will creep back toward average. I'll give yes. him that. But if they have Turner in one of the top tackles, that's not a bad combo. And maybe that was part of the reasoning, maybe. right, for trading Russell Okung for Trey Turner as well. Sure. Um, people are trying to, to figure fix. out what the Panthers were thinking in that end. Uh, yeah. Um, um, you need to fix, like, the three other positions on the offensive line anyway. So I would be all for taking a tackle at the top of the draft. Um, so O-line everywhere. Yeah, always. And they're another team again. Where competition for Ty- Tyrod. Start looking at that second tier of free agents because, again, you need all of them. All right. Like every spot on the offensive line, start start filling in some holes. Rounding it out with the Denver Broncos. How are we going to fix Denver? I would look to – so obviously the theory is that they have their starting quarterback now. It's a theory. So let's build around him. Let's start giving him the best environment possible to thrive. Um, I think Cortland Sutton had a fantastic season a season ago. Uh, let's let's add more. Like Cortland Sutton on his own is not going to get it done. Let's 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 bring in an Emmanuel Sanders, for example. Um, those guys aren't hard to. Those are not easy to find. Right. Obviously, you had one of those, and you let him go. But let's replace him. Let's get another Emmanuel Sanders because you need to get have more than just a number one wide receiver. Um, they should obviously expect. Noah Fant to progress and be, you know, a, a serious weapon as a, a tight end option. But let's find a, a legit number two receiver that can that be a big impact player. I think Denver's in a really tricky spot with Drew Locke. Okay. As a second round pick who did some nice things. Wasn't Joe Flacco. Let's say that for him. Was he, is he really better than Joe Flacco right now? Yes. Yes, he is. I don't know that he is. Oh, he is. Joe no. was miserable. Like, he was just depressing. I mean, when he wasn't taking sacks, Joe threw the ball really well. Listen, mm-hmm. they're in a really tricky spot with Drew Locke. I liked the Drew Locke pick as a second rounder where it's like, take shots at quarterbacks in the second round, as long as you're open to continuing to to find the guy. I don't know that he's the guy yet. I also don't know that there's a they're in the middle of the first round. There's not like this other guy that they should get. Here's the thing, though. 
right? If Drew Locke is not the guy, everybody in that building is being fired. So there's no like, let's hedge our bets and get somebody else. <laughs> you've, you've used up eight of your nine lives and Drew Locke is your ninth. If he craps out as well, the cat is dead and we're throwing him out with the trash. Like, oh, I, he's got Listen, you still have to build around him. I would just in the back of my mind just be like, man, I don't want to completely hitch the wagon to Drew Locke. It was just like it was a nice pick. But they already have. Because they, they had back to back second rounders. They don't have an alternative anymore. It's like it's you screwed up place. too many times that you don't have you don't have a fallback. If Drew Locke isn't the guy, you're all gone. It's just not a great place to be there. Um, they had the back to back second rounders last year, Dalton Reisner and Drew Locke. I know they won some games with him. He played eh, just all right. I'm he had a lot of help. I like the idea, though. You say playmaker, somebody opposite Cortland Sutton. You have uh, Noah Fant, last year's first rounder, as at least like an explosive tight end that the defense has to account for. He's not the best all-around tight end. I like that as a strategy. And then you got to look at the O-line as well. Um, center's a spot. they got to replace Connor McGovern. But still, and then you know, defensively, you come back to this whole cornerback situation like we've talked about with everyone else. Their two best players in the secondary last year, Chris Harris, Justin Simmons, both free agents. Um, the second, I mean, also just to put a bow on the Drew Locke thing, I'm not saying I'm sold on him being the answer. I'm just saying that at this point, he is for Denver, whether they want him to be or not. He's the guy that they have to build around. He right? is the answer for them because if he isn't, everybody's getting fired and we're rebuilding this whole thing from the ground up. Yeah, that's so fair. they have to buy into the idea that he's a starter and let's maximize his chance to succeed. Um, from a defensive point of view, they need help everywhere. Um, these, There's like, I mean, so, as you said, a bunch of those guys are hitting free agency. Alexander Johnson played really well last year. Bradley Chubb, I don't think, is ever going to develop in anything more than, like, good. Like, he's not going to be special the way Von Miller was. And what's kind of concerning is that I'm not sure Von Miller is going to be special anymore. He started to slow a little bit. Last year was the first year of his career that he didn't absolutely – I think it was the first year of his career that he didn't have a PFF grade above 90. So he like 90. Oh, yeah, it was, a, it was a big drop-off um, as you're looking it up. Yeah. Um, they're another team that when they're when you're looking at the team and it's like the receiver depth chart isn't horrible, but you'd love to have somebody with Cortland Sutton, right? And because people are just filling out depth charts, they're also looking like, man, we've got seven defensive tackles, all as free agents, whatever it is, like just grab a Derek Brown or a Javon Kinlaw. They're another team that has too many holes at corner or at receiver that if I walk away with a D tackle in the first round, Unless you know you're going to get one on the turn and you're playing the depth, I don't love it as a strategy. I'd rather get corners and say in, in receivers with those first two picks. So first year that Von Miller did not have a PFF grade north of 90. And it wasn't just slightly below 90. It was 79. So it's like a 10 point. Yeah, his first year, like he was under 80, for, which right. is crazy. It's the first. So he's had uh, pass rushing grades below 90 before, but he's never had one lower than 85. And this year it was 71.4. So Von Miller is now 31, had by far the worst season of his career in terms of overall and pass rush PFF grade. Still racked up a bunch of pressures, but obviously they weren't the same level of quality as the pressure he normally gets. So you need to start thinking about what if this is the beginning of the end for Von Miller, if he is on the downswing of his career and he is no longer a special impact, devastating pass rusher the way we have come to expect now you need to start looking at his replacement. Yeah, that's that's not a great place to be in. Is no. figuring out where you a superstar edge, your top two coverage players in Chris Harris and Justin Simmons, a wide receiver to complement Cortland Sutton, you know, that and in some O line either depth, you know, Ron O'Leary gone, Connor McGovern gone, trying to figure figure out how to uh, how to fix that as well. Yeah.
Um, so I come back to value positions. Start with corners and receivers, work your way down to the edges and the interior offensive linemen. Find some of those bargain basement uh, free agents when it comes to O-line. They've got a lot of draft, or not draft, salary cap space to spend as well, so they can be a player in free agency and, you know, attack this thing on multiple fronts. Give everybody Amari Cooper. Well, it's always a nice place to be, right, having some draft capital and free agent spending money, you know, when you have a lot of holes to fill. So for Denver, I think they need to survey the market. They need to either be in an Amari Cooper sweepstakes or, you know, start looking at your favorite defensive impact player, start attacking multiple spots in terms of the mid-range guys, um, or and in addition to, you know, plugging some holes in the draft. Sounds good. Denver Broncos fixed. Done. All right, we took longer than we expected. <laughs> what a shocker. What a shocker. We're still under two hours. We did it. Well, that's a win. We're going to hit the NFC next week. All right. Thursday, Thursday, later in the week. So there you go. AFC teams all fixed in five plus minutes yeah, or more. On Thursday. Five plus or more. I will be wearing more than a t-shirt because it's an ice box in here right now. It's freezing. Yeah, you've been cold yeah. this whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not great. Really cold. Anyway, uh, so Thursday, we'll hit the NFC. Next week, free agency. It's going to be crazy. The only place to go keep up with everything. The content at PFF.com has been fantastic. If you are a subscriber, a lot of our best stuff is behind our Edge and Elite paywall so be sure to sign up so you can see some of the best stuff being written and we're going to be covering free agency wall-to-wall so stick with us the entire week Mm -hmm. sound good yeah that's all we're out we'll see you guys thursday talking nfc Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.